So you may have noticed over the course of the retreat that those times of transition, so at the end of a stillness period in the hall when the bell rings and we're invited to change form and posture to movement meditation, or when we're doing movement meditation and the bell for lunch rings, how often there's that potential for our mindfulness, our intention to slip. We can almost feel it sometimes as a kind of collapse in the body of effort. And over the next couple of hours, day or two days, we actually have quite a significant transition. As we dissolve the retreat environment, as the support of the community, of each other, of the simplicity and of the silence dissolves and we move back into our everyday lives outside of retreat. And the invitation here also, just as it was on retreat, is to, as much as possible, maintain and sustain a continuity of practice. not to try and hold on to anything, but actually just to allow what has unfolded over the retreat to linger as long as it can and to percolate, continue to percolate in the system, in the being. So we might think of it rather than there being a lake ahead of us and we run in and jumping in, that what we do is we take a leisurely stroll. Maybe we dip our toes in just to test out the water and then we just slowly immerse ourselves back into our daily lives. So, a few things just to consider around that. You're most probably a lot more sensitive than you realize. Some of you might have noticed that this morning, that when the silence broke, it was really lovely to communicate and share with each other but also it can have a certain agitation, it impacts the system. And as we move from the quiet, the silence, the stillness of being at Gaia House or being at home on retreat, where we've been more removed from our daily lives, we move from this into a world that can seem at times extremely busy and chaotic. And to really take care of that movement, that transition, to take it gently. So do we need to straight away go on to um, social media and check out all the posts that our friends or the people we follow have put online since we've come on retreat? Can we allow that to wait? Do we need to check our emails and respond to them all immediately? When we do arrive back into our homes or leave our space online and go back into our, our families or whatever, and we're asked, how was it? Do we need to, at that moment, give a blow-by-blow -blow account of what's gone on over the last week? Or can we trust that what they really want to know is, actually, how are you? Has it been a worthwhile endeavor? And again, allow some time for this to continue to percolate 
before we box it and wrap it up as it was like this. What serves this evening? Is it better to have maybe a quieter evening, connect with some friends? Or do we want to go to the local club or music pub and uh, enjoy the chaos of that? So what's really going to serve that landing back into our daily lives? And if you're in a position that you're actually starting maybe work again tomorrow, at lunchtime, is it necessary to have your sandwich at your desk answering all your emails or whatever the equivalent might be in your particular line of work? Or can you actually take your sandwich for a walk and find some quiet space, maybe in nature or a green space, where you can just sit and quietly enjoy just being there? So the invitation really is to find ways of stopping that momentum into busyness over the next day or two. Just to find little times when you can just have a cup of tea and have a cup of tea and not be doing something else at the same time. That rush of life and that movement back to, momentum, to busyness will pull most of us, if not all of us, but can we allow it to be a slow movement back into that rather than straight back into it? It's a real encouragement to take the next day, two days, really gently, really softly, really giving some space to allow what has unfolded over the last week just to continue to percolate, but also giving it then the space to actually start to find a way of coming into our daily lives, how we can practice it with, it with it in our daily lives. And Nathan will talk a bit more about that. So I'd like to finish just by thanking Zohar and Nathan for their teachings. It's been really lovely to uh, receive them and for the opportunity to actually participate and support this retreat. It's been really nice to get the experience of a hybrid retreat. And to thank you all for your practice and for yeah, the joy and privilege of being able to share in your sharings in small groups, both here in person but also online. Uh, it's been really lovely to, to meet some of you and hear from you so yeah thank you for your practice and I wish you a very soft and gentle landing back into whatever the circumstances and conditions you go back to go well I also want to express my gratitude again, you know, to everyone for your participation and a really 
deep gratitude to Tony and Monica for holding the, the teaching role and of course for uh, Andrew, for those in the hall have seen him, you know, always ready to uh, adjust everything technologically to make this flow well. And those online will, will recognize that Aubrey is also there uh, holding a, a parallel kind of role there. And none of this could have been possible without uh, all of your, you know, really beautiful dedication. And likewise, none of this is possible without all of your beautiful dedication, everyone who's in any way involved with this. And there are others behind the scenes, certainly as well. Mel, I'm not sure if Mel's here right now, but uh, yeah, also, and others. So I want to share a little bit about daily life practice. And, um, you know, you might have this uh, idea, this feeling, that um, now I've cracked it, I know how to meditate. You know, how many times a day will we be meditating? Whatever it is, you know, I'll keep that up. You know, I'll, uh, I'll have a 45 before lunch and uh, you know, that evening meditation. It always seemed difficult, but it was so worthwhile. I'll add that in and uh, then there'll be walking periods. I'll be able to fit those in. It's like, and one of the ideas that we can have is... Um, this is great. I will, you know, bring the retreat uh, into my daily life, make my daily life look like a retreat. Um, and so I just want to kind of like speak to that uh, fantasy a little bit. Um, and I, I just want to kind of own the fact that it, I don't use the word fantasy as a, as a, with any negative connotations. Yeah. Um, one of our dear teachers, Rob Babea, actually really kind of um, reintegrated this word fantasy and understand that we have a lot of fantasies in our practice and they're important. They're really important. You know, the fantasy of awakening can actually be a very, very beautiful and supportive thing. So this kind of fantasy of waking up in daily life, great, great. There's also a kind of a question is like, does it actually fit my life? You know, I think Zah was speaking about that really beautifully. Tony was just mentioning it uh, now as well. So the first thing to say is daily life is different. A daily meditation practice may well really look very different to experiences on retreat. And that doesn't mean they're not worthwhile, but it may just mean that we need a different sensitivity and a different sensibility to notice what's actually happening there. Yeah? So, if coming on a meditation retreat has, has redefined for us what meditation is, and then we have this, oh, I used to do this thing called meditation, but it wasn't meditation, this is meditation, then that's going to lead to a certain disappointment, yeah? That fantasy, oh, meditation is where, you know, you don't have thoughts, or, or, or not so much, or meditation is where daily life doesn't affect me at all. You know, daily life is where someone else cooks lunch and washes up. And <laughs> it's like meditation is really like that. So I have to, you know, get a cook and a cleaning team and maybe I need to move into a community. And, you know, so maybe, maybe, maybe that is actually what you need to do. Or maybe we just have to do something else. So I'm actually going to borrow something else that I heard Rob Babair say at the end of a retreat. And we'll mention Rob Babair and we've got him on our resources list. Really think he's a great teacher to check into. 
and he used this phrase, practice with intelligence. And kind of like, interesting, like what does that mean? A lot of the things that, that uh, Tony was just sharing was like that degree of intelligence that we can bring to this. So one of them is actually, let's get a good usable definition of what a meditation is. Um, so I'm just going to offer out mine. It's like a work in progress, if it's helpful for you. You laughing? Yeah, I'm funny. Okay. All right. Um, apparently I'm funny. So here's, here's, here's something that works for me, and it's simple. So a meditation is an activity that's undertaken with intention. Any activity that's undertaken with intention. Okay? So what that means is three parts to a practice set an intention. What are you going to do? I'm going to try and expand my heart so it includes more beings. Great, that's a meditation intention right there. Oh, I'm going to soothe and ease the bodily fabrication here. Yeah, I'm going to breathe in ways which are calming, easeful, delightful. That's my intention. Yeah. Whatever it is, you can take all of the kind of practices we've explored here and see they had an intention, but then we need to attend with that intention. Yeah, so the middle part of the retreat, the middle part of the meditation, sorry, is attending with that intention alive. But there's still a third aspect I would include there, which is actually a reflection at the end. Reflect, so what happened? Did I do it? <laughs> no, I forgot. <laughs> it's like, okay. Did I do it? Yes, I did. What happened? What happened? Oh, I feel, I feel quite good. So we see, actually, the beginning and the end, they, they need this um, getting familiar with our experience. So before we begin, get to know. It's like, how's the heart? How's the mind? How's the body? And perhaps the intention arises from there. Or maybe the intention is for the week. For this week, my intention is developing calmness, yeah? steadiness of heart and mind. And then I bring that in, doing it. So what happened today? Yeah. So practicing with intelligence also means having a good framework of what a meditation is. Right? And so this framework, it works for me, might work for you, I'm offering it out there. Uh, otherwise, we might fantasize something different about meditation. Like I said, all those previous ideas. So a couple of practical tips that can be supportive to develop a daily practice. It doesn't have to be every day, but if you make it every day, it's not so complicated to remember if is today a day or not a day, and you know, maybe not tomorrow. And, you know, it's like, so make it daily. Make it achievable. It might be helpful to do it in the same place at the same time. So it just becomes part of our daily routine. It also may not. So just get to know yourself. Yeah? Do, you, do you like routines? Do you benefit from them? Would your practice benefit from that? And I'll speak a bit more about dynamism later with a different algorithm perhaps. might be helpful to place it in before something. It's like you know, before I have a coffee, before I have breakfast, before I have my lunch, I do a little meditation. I go to that place, and by having that place, it's kind of already set up, it's ready to go, you know, and I just plop myself in it, and maybe through the day I walk past it, and it's like, hey, meditation spot, be back there later, you know, and it can be, you know, that can be supportive. We haven't all got the, the space to be able to do that, and we might use our cushions for other things through other parts of the day, whatever it is. But if you can, it can be a helpful thing just to have something set out so that you can drop into that anytime. 
So I'm going to come back around to this and I have an idea about developing daily life practice in a more kind of deeper way and I'll explain why shortly. Maybe one thing to say is let's make it achievable the amount of time I want to sit and make it achievable but also leave it a little bit open-ended. Yeah? So for example, we might say, I think I can do 20 minutes. Yeah? And so we just make sure that that's scheduled in. I'm going to do my 20 minutes. But also, if I want to, I'm not going to block that up against something where there's no freedom to say, oh, actually, it's really nice today. Let's do another 10. Yeah? And so, in a way, have an, if you're going to set an alarm, have an alarm that you don't have to turn off. You know, one that maybe just pings once and it's done. If you can set that up, it's, it's quite helpful. So that if the meditation is feeling good, feeling supported, we can extend. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's enough about that bit at this point. The next thing I think is interesting to look at is looking at our life and are there some activities I already do that could be converted into a meditation? So, um, for example, like Tony said, you know, having a silent meal. Now that's going to support a kind of a mindfulness, not eat, read, plan, anything like that. So just in the eating, just the eating. Yeah, to uh, plagiarize the Buddha. Um, other activities I think are really good for converting into meditation is brushing the teeth. Yeah, brushing the teeth is metta kindness to the enamel or whatever uh, you know else is going on there in teeth I'm no medic <laughs> yeah taking time to do it well to do it gently yeah bringing more mindfulness into this actually supports us to realize brushing the teeth can actually be a very gentle activity that we tend to do quite you know brutally uh, and so can kind of transform that good for us good for teeth good for the world good meditation, yeah. washing the body, caring for the body, all of these things, anything can become a moment of presence. Yeah. General thing, at times we're going to be finding ourselves interacting with a different D. And I think of three Ds in the depth of our practice. There's Sometimes where we need the D of discipline. We love discipline, don't we? Love a bit of discipline. You know? and sometimes it's really going to be like, no, you're not having your lunch because you didn't do your meditation. <laughs> you've been a bad girl, bad boy. And a bit of discipline, a bit of encouragement. It's like you've got to do at least this. You know? You've got to finish your plate before you can have your dessert. And you've got to do your meditation before. Discipline is helpful, it doesn't have to be harsh, it can be done in a really kind and fun and funny kind of way. Yeah. But sometimes it's really supportive because eventually we will get into the second D of the dedication kind of mode. And it's just like, hey, I don't want my lunch because I haven't done my meditation. That hasn't really set me up. I'm not going to enjoy lunch in anything like the kind of way I could if I've actually sat and soothed and calmed and steadied or opened the heart makes lunch better, that kind of dedication period. And then there's this third kind of mode that if you stick with discipline, it develops into dedication and dedication actually moves into devotion. You know, devotion, a little bit like that kind of feeling, you know, when you've 
you know, had a number of things to do and then you suddenly realize you've gotten to uh, work or school or somewhere and you oh, I haven't brushed my teeth. <laughs> it's just like, what a disappointment <laughs> that is. And that kind of devotional feeling is like, I can't wait to have another meditation. You know, I just can't, oh, can't wait to brush my teeth. <laughs> you know, that kind of feeling about it. And it all grows from these little periods of discipline. Yeah. Sometimes you need to, need to like, come on, do the good thing. You know it's good for you. Oh, I don't want to. Go on, just do it. Just do it. Just a little bit. And so this is where I just want to share a, a, a little algorithm that I think might be interesting to explore. And so, um, like many kind of algorithms, you know, that Facebook, it runs on an algorithm and all these other kinds of things. So it's not a nasty algorithm. But we are looking for beta testers who want to kind of try out this algorithm before it's ready for the real world. I'm hoping in the spring to actually kind of release this thing uh, out into the world and see if we can actually really awaken in daily life. So if that sounds interesting or tempting, and if you want to try it out beforehand, you can contact us. So maybe like a daily life meditation challenge or creative ways that we can have a whole life practice. So a few things, little and often, little and often. So you might want to kind of drop in that idea. So typically we might think I'm going to have a one long meditation in the morning. Like I'm going to, have to do 45 minutes, set me up and then I go off into the day. So I'm wondering if we flip that around and we think more about little moments of presence and they start to tie together. So let's say like three times a day of five minutes. What would that start to do? Right? It's almost like they're little stepping stones of mindful presence through our life. So little and often, which is to say achievable, attainable and uh, connectable in this way. In a sense, always our practice is one moment many times. Sit for 45 minutes. You've only got a present moment at any one point to actually meet well. The quality, not the quantity. Yeah, you know, it's how quickly things are going to get evaluated the wrong way. I sat for 45 minutes, tick. Didn't set an intention, didn't pay attention, and didn't reflect, but hey, I'm on board because the quantity was there but maybe the quality wasn't. So we're reducing the pressure, reducing the possibility for measurement, hopefully increasing the amount of quality. Another thing I think that's interesting is practicing at different time frames are different. Have you noticed on the retreat? It's like different, the morning meditation, the lunchtime meditation, the evening meditation, different meditations, different times are different. So doing a little more often allows us to actually awaken in different mind states, in different moods, in different energies. Yes, I think that's kind of interesting. So you can see how we're trying to be uh, uh, creative, trying to be appropriate to our human life experience. So we're going to have three practice sessions in the day, from five minutes upwards. <coughs> what about practicing in all four postures? Apologies if I've rabbited on about this to you before and you've already been exposed to this, but I really think it's interesting that a lot of people's daily life practice has only got one posture in it, right? And admittedly, it's the posture that most statues have in it as well. So it's not your fault, it's a, you've been brainwashed. 
But what about walking? What about reclining? What about standing? Aren't they good too? Aren't they good for something? Don't they bring something else to our experience? Or is walking practice just sitting practice but moving about? I think they're different. And if we want the whole of our life to awaken, I think we want to be looking here to have more practices. So let's say the algorithm looks like this. Three practice sessions through the day. You can't do all of them in one posture. Simple little rule. I've done two sittings. Next one is in a different posture. So, you know, trusting your own body, your own life, your own experience. But, you know, I'm sure all of us can get into something different or interpret the practice in a slightly different way. This next one I'm going to just touch briefly, and it's not a kind of a... There, there are no clear boundaries in life between things. So notice how the reciprocity actually works between insight practices, samadhi practices, metta practices. They all kind of... Actually, which one's going on there? You could practice metta and get a lot of samadhi. You could practice metta and get a lot of insights from it. You could practice metta and get a lot of heart-opening kind of qualities. There's no really clear boundaries. It's certainly how you look at them, how you conceive of them, what they turn out to appear to be. So that might be a little complicated. You can think about that more later on. Like what the heck does that mean about all this path? But let's say different intentions actually shape in different ways. So let's make sure we've got three practice sessions through a week. We've got 21 sessions there. Don't make them all samadhi. You know, include some insight. Include some metta or, or, or it's kind of sister practices of compassion practice, appreciation practice, equanimity practice. Yeah. So what we see, we're kind of diversifying, we're, we're developing, we're bringing in this more intelligence of like, yeah, let's have a diverse, interesting, developing life practice. Um, we may also say, for this week, I'm going to really develop seeing Anicca in constancy. That's going to be the insight I come back to. Or I'm really going to develop alongside that compassion. And just making sure, that, you know, yeah. And then we've got that mixture of postures. Suddenly, for me, it sounds a little more interesting. Oh, I can't wait for the standing and compassion combo. Yeah? That's coming up Thursday morning or whatever. But that, so we can do it spontaneously, randomly, and that's the beauty of the algorithm. You just like grab from it. Have I, have I done any heart practices in a while? I don't remember. Well, let's do one next. Yeah? So if you're interested in this, I'm just offering this out freely. It's, there's going to be no, no charge behind it. The um, last uh, kind of key point is it could be helpful for us. Like Some people like to write things down. Some people don't. But whether we journal or not, I think there's this whole rich way of meeting the hindrances. So first, let's notice what came up in the heart and mind. So maybe like at the end of the day, you might just want to keep a little journal. It's like, oh, there's a lot of greed today. There's a lot of greed today. Hmm. And on the one hand, we could say, okay. But actually, there's an important question. Do you remember the, the, the three golden rules? Don't take it personally. Don't ignore the fact that it's creating a biased view of the world. And the third one, don't do nothing. Do something. So the question actually is, what was there? And what did I do? What did I actually do about that? 
And there's a way of framing the awakening factors as antidotes to the hindrances. And I'm not going to unpack that now because I want to leave time also to hear from Monica. But just to say, or there are these qualities called the paramis, um, beautiful, beautiful, almost illimitable qualities of heart and mind that we can bring in that counter those influences. So that can be a skillful journaling. What was there and what did I do? Yeah. Again, supports us, helps us to develop intentionality, which we then apply attentionally into our life, and then we reflect, what did that do? Okay, so I'm like, giving you the major download. So maybe like, the last thing to say is, like, when we do it, we'll do it slowly, we'll develop it over about three weeks, and we'll sustain and support ourselves to be able to awaken more and more and more. But if you're interested in it, then you know, stay in touch, and we'll see what we can do to basically bake Break the, bra- the boundaries, break the boundaries between meditation practice and our life. They can come into each other, interweave, have a reciprocity, yeah? a support for each other that might actually really support us to have a really rich daily life. It doesn't look like a retreat, but actually feels like it's bringing the benefits of retreat. So I hope that feels helpful and... Uh, we haven't got time to take questions and comments and clarifications. What I'd like to do now is invite Monica to appear into this space, the physical space that I'm in, and also still be present with the online by the mastery of Andrew. Should I give a thumbs up when we're ready? Can you hear me in the online? Great. And in the hall? Thumbs up. Truly magical. (laughs) One day uh, the Buddha was hanging out with Ananda his cousin and attendant. And Ananda was present uh, when the Buddha was teaching uh, on individual um, level, but also on group level, uh, quite a lot throughout the Buddha's life. So they were hanging out probably after their meal. And Ananda said to the Buddha, this is half of the holy life spiritual friendship. And usually when the Buddha, Ananda said something to the Buddha, the Buddha would say, rightly said, rightly said. But this time he said something different. Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable spiritual friendship is the whole of the holy life. Spiritual friendship is the whole of the holy life. When a person has admirable friends, he can be expected to develop and follow the Noble Eightfold Path. 
The Noble Eightfold Path is the path that leads to freedom, the freedom of the awakened heart that uh, Zohar and Nathan have been beautifully um, opening up for us on this retreat. So we don't have to walk the path on our own. In fact, we are always walking a path. The question is, which path are we walking on? And friendship, friends, help us in clarifying, knowing and remembering the path we want to walk on. They help us to remember, what do I wish to nourish? How do I stay aligned with my values, with that purpose? what actions I want to manifest in the world. So friends help to clarify the what and the how. Because everything depends. We, what we do, how we act, how we walk the path, the path we walk, depends on the friends we have. We are highly influential beings. Um, so how do we stay in the, on the path despite all the messages that tell us not to? All the advertising that is forced on us, all the messages that say be greedy, be fearful, be aversive, criticisms that we might here, um, seven days in silence, what's that? Just doing nothing? So how do we stay on the path? Uh, a friend of mine has an email signature. Whenever I get an email from them, um, the email signature says, uh, what's most important? So I love, I love receiving those messages for that signature, that reminder, what's most important. So how do we connect with admirable friends? One of the ways we are already doing that by coming on retreat, whether we are in person or online, coming on retreat, surrounding ourselves with people with, who are walking the path like we are. And there are other ways and other resources as we go forth after this time together that are offered uh, on the Gaia House resources page regarding um, groups that we may have uh, access to locally other retreat centers and um, there are some web pages which also have um, more resources like the dependentorigination.org page that uh, Nathan has um, kindly put together. There is also, um, I want to mention a group which was co-founded by uh, my dear teacher Rob Berbia and um, 
Nathan and Zohar with other friends, which is Sangha Seva. It's the path in action, compassionate action, with retreats in action at different locations in the UK, also online, and other places. Really beautiful opportunities to surround ourselves. Been for myself also a great inspiration and great companion. So I would like to end this part of the of this talk with a poem that I like, and I like poems. You may have already heard this one. It's from St. Francis and the Saw. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. Thank you very much for your attention. I will uh, have some words of gratitude that I will save for the sharing circle. Thank you. So, just a um, gratitude from me as well uh, to all of you and Monica, Tony, Andrew, Aubrey, uh, Mel, all those who have supported us to be here. Um, I just want to add just a, a few more things um, to drop in as resources, um, particularly some of them for uh, kind of the short term, the immediate next week, some of them for the long term. Um, so Nathan and I have a drop-in group on the third Sunday of every month, which I think is today, potentially. <laughs> it is today. It uh, happens at 5 o'clock UK time. Uh, and if you happen to be home by then or en route in a way that feels like would be helpful, um, you're really welcome to, to connect um, to that. Uh, can also be a place to bring more questions that you may still have uh, for the retreat. And as Monica so beautifully said, a place to connect to, uh, to other friends on the path. 
Also, starting tomorrow at 7am, Nathan will be offering the daily meditations with Sangha Live, 7am UK time. So that can also be a real support. Um, an hour-long session every morning during the week. Um, if you're interested, then check that out. I think that both of those are on the resource page. I think on the notice board. Yeah. And on the ev events page of our website, dependentorigination.org, which is on the resources <coughs> page. Uh, also to say, for any point, it would be helpful to contact us. Uh, you can always do that through Dependent Origination. There's a contact us option there. Um, and just send us an email. We'll get back to you. If you forget how to do that, do it through Guy House. <laughs> just send Guy House an email and say, can you please ask Zara and Nathan to contact me with your email address and they, you'll be giving them permission then to give us your email address and we'll be in touch. So just remember that that is uh, there for you. So you really are not uh, going forth uh, alone. Um, all the resources that have been on the online notice board and on the physical notice board, they are all on the Dependent Origination uh, website. Uh, if you found them helpful, you can go back to them, you know, the meditation instruction sheets. Um, and, uh, yeah, on the resources page on Dependent Origination. Um, the recordings from this retreat already available to those online. They all will be on Dharma Seed um, in the next few weeks. The person who uh, deals with them currently has COVID, so I <laughs> have to wait till she comes back. Huh? Okay, so there are actually some printed uh, slips to the notice board, the online notice board that you can pick up before you go, so you will have access to the recordings immediately. Thanks, Andrew. That's brilliant. Um, but there's also lots of other material on Dharma Seed, both from us and from many other teachers. And last but not least, we mentioned Rob Obea several times, his book, Seeing That Freeze, um, probably the greatest Dharma book of our times. Um, and uh, our teachings on this retreat very much um, influenced by Rob's teachings. So if you found them helpful and you don't mind a... Uh, you know, serious read, <laughs> then uh, try it out. And you can definitely read it in bite-sized pieces in any case. Okay. So um, in a moment, we're going to take a little uh, break yeah, to care for the body and have a little pause, yeah? practice what we've been talking about, not make things too dense if we can. Um, when we come back, we want to be in a kind of circular shape here in the hall, yeah, or a kind of, it's more of an oval shape with the, this many people. So we would like to make that shape before we go for a break so that when we can come back, uh, we can just do that because it's easier to do it when we're all here. <laughs> Yeah, rather than coming back gradually. And for those online, um, you'll be able to share uh, also uh, either if you wish to speak to us and we'll hear you or to do it via the chat and it will be read out whatever you prefer. So uh, you're really invited to stay. That's the way the, 
the two parts of the retreat will come together, yeah, that we can hear each other um, and, and kind of have a sense of the, of the shared experience. And it's a, it's a, it's a big um, teaching, I think, uh, for us. The hybrid, the online retreats, yeah, have taught us that actually, yes, what Nathan said, it is possible to practice in many, many different sets of conditions. Yeah. So there's something in, in kind of bringing that together at the end, which is uh, valuable for all of us. So, yes. <laughs>